Hey, what's going on? It's Jason Snow, and you're listening to The Jason Snow Show for Friday, March 26th, 2021. What's going on? How is your week going? We've come to the end of the tunnel. It is finally Friday, and you're probably listening to this on a Friday night, maybe over the, maybe over the weekend. Um, I got to say, though, there's no better feeling than that drive home after a long week of work, maybe maybe a long day, and you know on a Friday night, your next two days are clean. You got nothing to do. You can kick back, relax, do absolutely squat for as long as you want. There's no better feeling. You can do what you want for two days. And if you're listening to this podcast, you want to listen to this podcast. That's what you're showing me if you're listening to this right now. So thank you for spending a very valuable portion of your day with me. And it's always greatly appreciated. Uh, There's no better feeling in the world. There's no feeling I would trade for this this feeling. Um, Speaking of trade... Oh, what a segue. Oh, what a segue. Sign me up for a podcast award. Podcast 101. Six episodes in, and I'm pulling off segues like that. Who would know? Um, this kind of crashed the beginning of the show. We're going to talk about NBA trade deadline uh, to wrap things up in a few minutes. But let's start with a move that just crashed just now. The Miami Dolphins trading the number three overall pick to the San Francisco 49ers for the number 12 pick in the draft, a 2021 third round pick. Uh, and two first rounders, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. Wow. Um, so the first big swing move from the NFL draft, the NFL draft is April 20 something. And so it's about a month away and teams already making moves. So uh, Adam Schefter also tweeted the 49ers are now square in the quarterback mix, but are holding on to Jimmy Garoppolo and have no trans to uh, no plans to trade him per sources. And the 49ers did not trade up with a quarter with one quarterback in mind. They traded up because they're good with the options that will be there at number three. Okay. So I was scouring through a lot of mock drafts in the last couple minutes before I hit record. Because this just happened. Like this is raw. I did not necessarily plan uh to react to this. So this raw emotion. What what's better than raw emotion? So um my first instinct is the first thing I thought of when I saw this was, wow, they want a quarterback. But according to um, Schefter's tweets, that might not be the case. So as you look down a lot of prospects, I didn't, I haven't talked a lot about college football uh, in this podcast because we just got started in, in March a couple weeks ago. So college football season came and went a couple months before. And I'm going to do a lot of mock draft. I'm going to do a mock draft uh, coming up before the real NFL draft. And we'll sift through a lot of these prospects. So if you don't know a lot of college football and you don't know what kind of prospects are available, I recommend going on to pff.com. They have a lot of mock drafts. Um, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, Joel Klatt, those guys are on top of the ball in terms of college football and recruiting and uh, mock drafts. But I love college football. I just haven't gotten an opportunity to talk about it. But in this, I love mock drafts and I love um, prospects and I love the NFL draft and I love the NBA draft. I just love drafts in general. So it's a really interesting move. San Francisco gave up three first rounders and a third to move up nine spots. Translation, there's a guy they want. And the first instinct I thought was quarterback because everyone obsesses over quarterback. But they, like Schefter said, they're sticking with Jimmy Garoppolo. So maybe, you know, they could go a couple different directions here if San Francisco could. And we'll touch on Miami in a second. San Francisco could draft a Trey Lance and put him behind Jimmy Garoppolo. But as Green, as we saw Green Bay do this past year, 
quarterback battles between a veteran and a, and a rookie that's quite not polished yet, that's kind of unsettling for that starter. So we'll see how it goes. But my second instinct was, will they go offensive line, Penny Sewell from Oregon? Or will they go Rashawn Slater from Northwestern? Slater, uh, Slater and Penny Sewell both opted out of this past college football season. And I've heard Sewell doesn't have the greatest tape in the world. So, and I think, you know, what team couldn't use a great offensive lineman? But here's something that I think is more realistic. I think they might go Kyle Pitts from Florida. I think they might. Now, Kyle Pitts, if you haven't, um, like I said, watched a lot of college football, Kyle Pitts is a hybrid. He can run tight end for you. He can. He's like a wide. He'd be the best. He's the best wide receiver in this class, arguably. And he's a tight end. I mean, you have Jamar Chase. You have Devonte Smith, who won the Heisman. You have Jalen Waddle. A lot of good wide receivers at the top. And Kyle Pitts can make an argument for being one of the best. And it's not even his primary position. So he's a hybrid. You can use him in a couple of different ways. And I know what you're saying. They just signed um, George Kittle like last year to a five-year deal. Yeah. Uh, George Kittle will be in the mix for the Niners going forward, at least the next five years. But George Kittle, don't forget, missed half the season this past year. So as a guy who hasn't been very durable in the recent history, they might just go Kyle Pitts because George Kittle, more of a blocking tight end. When we discuss the best tight ends in football, Travis Kelsey's probably the best up there with Darren Waller, the best pass catcher uh, tight end. But George Kittle's the best blocker. So if they want to use a two tight end set, that's what New England's going to do this year with Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry. Maybe the 49ers are kind of doing the same thing because out of all the prospects in this year's draft, maybe outside of Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts is the one that I'm confident won't bust. Now, a lot of, you know, a lot has been made of where you land in the draft matters most, and I totally agree with that. But if you give Pyle, if you give Kyle Pitts that offense and you give him a run offense that a lot of play action from Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan offensive wizard one of the best offensive coaches in football I think that they traded up to get Kyle Pitts I really do now they've been injury riddled like last year and that's probably why they didn't make a run towards the playoffs and as far as they wanted to and a lot of people are shrugging their shoulders that is Jimmy G durable is he going to play for you uh, how consistent is he? He's a good quarterback on some days, but other days you kind of want him to be more of a play action. I mean, the, the Niners made it to the Super Bowl and um, two years ago, and Jimmy G threw like eight times in the NFC Championship game. So there's a lot of different ways uh, San Francisco can maneuver from this, but I think the one target is going to be Kyle Pitts from Florida, kind of an offensive wizard almost. Uh, very, He's a vertical tight end that acts like a, a receiver most times. Uh, but he's big. I, I just think he's one of the can't miss, uh, can't miss prospects in this year's draft. But um, let's flip the scope to Miami. Now, what's Miami doing? They had the number one pick because they traded um, Laramie Tunsil to the Houston Texans. And this is the, actually the Texans pick at number three. So what is Miami doing here? They're beefing up the roster for Tua. They're not going to move off Tua Tagovailoa. Now, I've been a you know, I've been kind of thinking to myself, I haven't watched a lot of, I, how many uh, BYU games have you seen? I haven't seen many to see Zach Wilson play that much. I've seen Mac Jones play. I've seen Trevor Lawrence play. Uh, I've seen Justin Fields play. So if I were to rank, and I'll go into more in depth than this in a future podcast, but if I were to rank the college quarterbacks, Lawrence is my number one. 
And then I'd have to go. I've seen more Justin Fields. So he'd probably be my my number two. And then right after that, I love Trey Lance. Trey Lance has an arm. Uh, Trey Lance can move. Trey Lance can run. The problem is North Dakota State didn't have a season. Like he played one game this year. And even that game, there were some moments he missed a he missed a throw. He ran he ran in for a touchdown, but the tape was there's not much there with with Trey Lance in terms of uh, body of work. There's not much there, but I think he's got the arm. Um, from what I've seen and heard of, it, he's a nice guy. Like he he's what you'd want in a quarterback. Uh, Zach Wilson is one that I feel like kind of like a Jordan Love. How many? I mean, last year Jordan Love was like, oh, he's Patrick Mahomes. Oh, he's the Aaron Rodgers prototype. How many Utah State games have you seen? I mean, he, you know what I mean? So there's not like, there's not a consensus. There's not a great feeling with Zach Wilson. I mean, sure, these guys have gifts and sure, these guys have arms. But in terms of what, you know, what's actually their substance and how that'll translate to the NFL, kind of blurry at the moment. So so that all those guys, except for Lawrence, were available likely at number three. But by Miami trading out to number 12, that means they want to beef up this roster around Tua. And I think that they can win with Tua, but Tua is kind of like this Dak Prescott, um, Alex Smith of years past. He's not going to, he's not a Mahomes. He's not a Russell Wilson. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, carry you to the playoffs all by himself. So Miami last year kind of catered the offense around run centric. We're not going to, we're playing safe with Tua. He's not going to be a Justin Herbert who last year took the Chargers in five minutes notice against the Chiefs and shocked us. And I watched that game. Wow, what a th- what kind of throws Justin Herbert made in his NFL debut. Tua's not that guy, but they're going to give Tua a chance. And I, I'm not I'm not mad at this move. I would have gone Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I don't know, but I think building around Tua is a is a good plan to have. They could beef up that defense. They could get another receiver, maybe. I mean, at 12, you could probably go Devontae Smith might be there. Um, Jalen Waddle might even be there. I don't know if Jamar Chase is going to be there, but wow. So two, I mean, one team, their plan, the Niners, their plan is a little blurry. Who who are they going to get at three? I think it's going to be going to be Kyle Pitts from Florida, but Miami is telling you exactly what they want to do. And that's build around Tua, give him a chance. We might sneak into the playoffs over like in the division over a team like the Patriots, so I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, they don't want to they don't want to draft Tua and then not give him a chance. Every rookie quarterback kind of they give us some moments. They have some moments of of brilliance, but to really come into your own, I think giving Tua another year in the system, not battling with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think that will instill more confidence and maybe they see a, a brighter future than they see right than a lot of people see right now with Tua. So, it's really interesting. Uh, blockbuster move, and I think it, I think it's potentially good for both sides. I like it. So we are moving right along with the NFL draft, and like I said, I'm gonna go in depth with all of the first, all that like the highly touted prospects. I'm gonna go over, and I'm gonna list you my favorites. Maybe some camp busts like a Kyle Pitt. So. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. We're going to do a mock draft before the NFL draft. And I'll, I'll probably announce that before that podcast releases, because that really takes a lot of work. Um, so great to have you in NBA trade deadline, NBA trade deadline. 
All right, so the NBA trade deadline was yesterday, and I've been doing a lot of NBA trade deadline topics throughout the past two weeks or so, uh, gearing up, getting ready, maybe setting some predictions. And I got to say, my my overall takeaway from, a, I think, last week or maybe even Tuesday was there would be more buyers than sellers, so I didn't ho- know how active the market would be this year, uh, with all things considered. But it was the busiest trade deadline ever, I think. Um, so Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted this morning, final tally on NBA trade deadline day per the league. 16 trades were made between 23 teams and 46 players were moved, most ever in each category in the past 35 years on deadline day. So my prediction was way wrong. I, I didn't think there would be too many moves, but there were more moves than ever. But What I'm seeing a lot today in sports media is winners and losers. Who won the trade deadline? Who lost the trade deadline? Who's the biggest winner? Who came away the best? Can we break the mold? We've been doing that for years. I've I've just talked NFL draft. We're going to be doing that for the NFL draft. We do that for the NBA draft. Winners, losers, winners, losers. I mean, it's like, can we we do something different? So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Now, although there were the most trades in history on a deadline... How many were actually impactful? So today, as of 1.48 p.m. on March 26th, 2021, how, what are the 10 best teams in the NBA? How impactful were these trades? Because, you know, you can have as many trades as you want and we can sort out winners and losers. Winners and losers, it's easy to spot. Miami won. They got Victor Oladipo for pennies. Chicago won. They got an all-star. Who lost? Orlando. They shipped half their roster away. Houston. They gave up Victor Oladipo for nothing. That's easy. I just did that. That's easy. That's easy to spot. The Celtics won. They got Evan Fournier, 20-point-per-game scorer for two second-round picks that probably won't pan out. That's, That's good value. So we can sift through winners and losers all day long, but how impactful are these trades going to be? And when it comes to the second half of the season... Who are the best teams? Who are the best teams in the NBA? Because if these trades aren't necessarily moving the needle, then what's the point in sifting out winners and losers? So here we go. My first ever top 10 list on the Jason Snow Show. Editor Jason, if you want to plug some music in there, that would be great. Don't forget. Um, All right. Some honorable mentions. We'll do this. All right. Honorable mentions. I got the Celtics... The Celtics are kind of in a weird spot. They got Evan Fournier. He'll play off the bench 20 points per game. Gave up really nothing for him. Uh, Daniel Tice got traded for uh, Mo uh, Mo Wagner, uh, which is, uh, I don't really, is that a push? Is that just a stalemate? I mean, I don't really know which team got better in that move. But the Boston Celtics underachieving this year. Maybe this Evan Fournier move can be a shot in the arm for this team and, you know, get some motivation going. They face the Bucks tonight, so we'll see how they contend uh, with that. But they're kind of on the they're on the outside looking in on my top ten. So are the Knicks. The Bulls got Nikola Vucevic. Uh, that could be a good move for them, um, but not good enough to make my top ten. All right. So the top ten teams as of 150, 2021. In the NBA, according to Jason Snow, let's start with number 10, the Dallas Mavericks. Now, the Dallas Mavericks, 23 and 19, seventh in the West. Uh, they acquired J.J. Redick at the deadline, which is, I think, a good move. They add to their shooting, uh, their their artillery there. Uh, Luka Doncic, I mean, Dallas isn't really 
exactly where we thought they'd be. I think, you know, Luka Doncic, I think we all appointed him to surefire MVP this year. That hasn't really come to fruition, although he's averaging 29, 8, 9 assists. So his stats are there, but Porzingis is their wild card. If he can be consistent with maybe a 23 points, 11 rebounds, be a stretch big, emerge as, you know, I think they can merge above some of the teams above them. Um, if all things align with Porzingis and Luka. And I think defensively, they're a little challenged, consistent. I mean, there are some of these nights where they can hang with anyone else in the league. And then there's, you know, some nights where they don't really show up, but they can shoot themselves into a game. And then on the other side of the coin, they can, uh, coin, they can shoot themselves out of the game. So they're average at home. They're average on the road. I don't know if I really buy them this season, you know, championship-wise, but they have all the makings to maybe emerge like, in two years from now to be a clear contender and stuff like that but they're still a team that if they're on my schedule i i i don't want to face them they're they're going to be a tough out um in the playoffs if you're if there emerges a seven seed i don't really want to face them necessarily okay number nine portland they're 26th and 18 sixth in the west they acquired norman powell yesterday who gives them some more depth i mean they gave up um, um, Gary Trent and Rodney Hood to do so, but Powell's given you 19 and a half points a night on a career high 44% from three. But I think you know they made this. You can say you know Portland's built on depth, or that at least they were, and now they give up to get you know a good NBA player and Norman Powell. They see a chance to jump the Lakers in the standings right now for a potential home court. Uh, they have Damian Lillard is the most clutch player in the league. He's the guy that I would want shooting with my life on the line. Uh, second in scoring in the NBA, it's 30 points per game. Uh, but Dame really helped keep that team afloat during some injuries. CJ McCollum was out for certain points this year. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic is just coming back. Uh, they might get LaMarcus Aldridge, which might boost them up above some of the teams ahead of them in this list. Uh, but that hasn't been done yet. But they're top 10 in three-point percentage, and Powell will help that even more. And like Dallas, they're a tough, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs if all things align. Number eight, the Phoenix Suns. Now, I know what you're saying. Phoenix is number two in the West. Why are they just a smidge above number six Portland in the West? Well, I just look at some of the teams above them in this list, and I, who do you take out? So Phoenix, 29 and 14, like I said, second in the West. CP3 was the best addition of the offseason. Uh, leadership. They get, He gave that team a direction. I mean, they had a good bubble without him, but CP3 with Monty Williams, his old coach in New Orleans, gives them another layer, some more leadership and more grit and really gives that team an, an identity. Now, his stats, you know, people are saying CP3 for MVP. His stats don't really align with that case, but what he's done to that locker room and what he's done to that franchise is invaluable. Their fifth in defensive efficiency, Devin Booker, 25 points per game. He's playing the fewest minutes per game since his rookie season and his career high in, in field goal percentage. That's all Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton is suddenly playing some of the best team basketball of his career. Stats are a little low, but their winning is, is overcoming that. Jake Crowder move paid off. Mikel Bridges, they're seven and three in the last 10 games. They're a hot team. They're gonna, they're gonna shoot the they're very analytical. We're going to guard you on the on the perimeter. We're going to shoot some threes. We're going to get to the basket. I like Phoenix. I think they're a good story. I don't know if they're necessarily a great playoff team. That's still to be determined. Uh, number seven, the Milwaukee Bucks. And you might say they're a little low uh, at seven, 29 and 14, second in the East. But 
Giannis needs another gear. Now, I know he's averaging 29, 11, and 7, leads his team in nearly every category, but can Giannis be a closer? Now, to me, Milwaukee hasn't really shown anything new in a year and a half. We know they're going to bring it in the regular season, but ah, they just need one more gear to make them a true contender. We saw, I mean, to me, they're well coached, Mike Budenholzer. They have an identity. They're going to, you know, play hard every night. But it, when it comes to the NBA playoffs, and Miami, one of the smartest organizations, just says we're going to build a wall around Giannis. And Toronto did this uh, a couple of years ago. He's he's marginalized. Now, he did hit uh, a pull-up three against Philly in clutch time. And he also had another, um, I think it was a game winner against the Sixers in the same game. Uh, that's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel for the Bucks. But until they prove in the playoffs that they can really get it done and close... I don't know if I necessarily buy them as, you know, one of the league's elite teams to get them over the top. Now, I think they're one of the teams that should have traded for Chris Paul. They got Drew Holiday, who brings 16 points a night, great defense. Middleton gives you 20. Their surrounding cast is pretty good. They bring in P.J. Tucker last week. But like I said, how can they counteract some of the other team's plans to marginalize Giannis? Now, maybe that's a coaching thing, but I think mainly it's a Giannis. He needs to develop his game and polish it a little bit more. And I've been saying it since last year's playoffs. Uh, but they're 9-1 in their last 10 games, so Milwaukee is a fordable team going forward, uh, at least in the regular season. Uh, number six, the Clippers. They're 30-16, and 16, third in the West. They acquired Rondo at the deadline for Lou Williams and two second-round picks. Um, the Clippers, it's weird because last year they had all the makings to be a true elite championship level team, but it just didn't come together, especially, you know, in game five, six, and seven against Denver, complete meltdowns. I believe I could be forgetting this, but they had a they led at halftime in each of the three, one, like Denver came back from a three, one lead, right? They had a lead at halftime in each of those games. So really uh, it was a real meltdown so maybe rondo they the story has been they needed a point guard for like a year and a half they kind of solved that uh rondo wasn't really playing inspired basketball in, in atlanta um so maybe with a real playoff contender he can ramp it up and bring them playoff rondo which really benefited the lakers last year uh number one in three-point percentage are the clippers Kawhi's giving you 26 6 and 5 on 51 percent shooting 40% from three. Paul George, solid number two. But like I said, this is kind of like Milwaukee. Can you prove it in the playoffs? Uh, they don't really know how to close games, or at least they didn't in last year's playoffs. Uh, they're fifth in guarding the three. So they hit threes and they guard it well. That's an analytics dream. But can the stars align for the Clippers this year? I'm not sure. They'll have to jump at least a couple of these teams. And, and I should have said uh, before this segment, um, this is excluding the Lakers, excluding the Lakers because AD and LeBron are both out. So, you know, once those guys come come back healthy, they'll be easily maybe number three if at the lowest. Um, but at this point, at like I said, this Friday, this these are the best teams in the NBA. Number five, Denver. I'm going to take the Denver Nuggets at five. Uh, they're 26 and 18, fifth in the West. Uh, but they they had one of the busiest trade deadlines of any team in the league. They acquired Aaron Gordon to Vail McGee at the deadline. Um, they didn't really have to give up too much either. I mean, Aaron Gordon will fit into that Jeremy Grant role from last year, which he had really thrived in. Uh, long, can play defense, hit a few threes, but really athletic, getting to the basket. Uh, Jokic is having an MVP caliber season. And, uh, 29, 11, and 8 assists from your center. What kind of center outside of Arvidas Sabonis can do that? Uh, Jokic, I think, is... 
I think he's the best passing center of all time. Um, between creativity, efficiency, everything you'd want out of a, a passing center, Jokic is. And he can really run your offense. He's an offensive hub. Um, but the question for Denver is, can Murray and Jokic become surefire closers? Can they be... Nobody's ever going to be Damian Lillard at the end of the games. But can they be you know, someone that you wouldn't want to take the shot at the end? I think that's what's needed to unlock their NBA championship hopes. Maybe they're a year away. Maybe like Dallas, they're two years away to really make it happen. But the Aaron Gordon, JaVale McGee makes them a team I wouldn't want to see in the playoffs. Number four, maybe I'm a little high on them at number four, the Miami Heat. Now, they're they're 22 and 23. They're the only sub 500 team on this list, and they're in the top five. Um, but they're seventh in the East. They acquired Victor Oladipo for almost nothing. Um, they're probably going to get Lamarcus Aldridge, and this I, I'm assuming they're going to get Aldridge. Maybe they don't, um, but they're the strongest suitors for him. So I'm going to take that into account here. Uh, they struggled out of the gates with Bam and Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler getting hurt early um but now that's why they're about 507th in the east but the east is really close so they're a game and a half out of fourth the heat are um they're the fourth best defense in the in the nba and miami's really special because they're expert management they're salary cap savants like they do it better than everyone else and around trade deadline and buyout market the end um the miami heat are the most dangerous yet predictable team when you like even last year they trade for Andre Gudala they get Jay Crowder this year they got Trevor Ariza they get Victor Oladipo they they have a brand and they fit guys into their brand so every year Miami is searching for new players and searching for options and every guy they just fit right into their scheme and they fit perfectly and it's so predictable like they have their guy they have a prototype of what they want and they get it every time and they're aggressive and that's why they they get to the finals um even post wade they they were aggressive um so yeah miami although they're under 500 as we speak they're not a team that i would want to face oh man miami they're getting healthy they're playing in stride I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking maybe they have to include Duncan Robinson in an Oladipo trade, and they didn't have to do that. <laughs> and it was it was insane. Um, so the the Heat get stronger. They're the, I think they're one of the top five smartest organizations in the NBA. And for that, I think that their seventh in the West spot right now will easily incru- increase to maybe number three, number four. They'll be a tough, tough team to face. And honestly, they might even threaten threaten Brooklyn. And or Philadelphia, speaking of which, number three is the Sixers. Uh, 32 and 13, first in the East. Their average game ends in a five-point win, fifth in the NBA. Uh, ben Simmons, now a couple years ago, he wasn't really improving, but I think now with Doc Rivers in that structure, really makes his game pop. 15 points per game, eight rebounds, eight assists, 55% shooting. The only question I have with Ben Simmons isn't really the three-point shooting, because although he's been reluctant to shoot those, he, he's he's showing improvement. The one thing that I, I kind of, I'm reluctant on, I love Ben Simmons, but if there's one thing, it's free throw shooting. He shoots like 60% from the free throw line. That's not really what I want out of a guy who's ball, like Ben Simmons going to be my point guard. I don't really want my point guard at the end of the games, having the ball in his hands, shooting 60% from the free throw line. That's, that's big for him. Uh, but Embiid pre-injury was a legit MVP candidate. Um, arguable favorite, 30 points per game, 12 rebounds. 
acquired George Hill at the trade deadline. I buried the lead on that. Uh, gives them another veteran that can help them close games. Um, George Hill's bounced around the league in, in the last couple of years, but he can. He's if you can have George Hill off the bench, give you some shooting along with Dwight Howard, Danny Green, a lot of the veterans. I mean, Philadelphia transformed from a, te- a young team that couldn't win games to a mature team with champions and, and guys who know how to play and close. So I like Philadelphia. They were the surprise of the NBA. I didn't know how Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons would mesh going into this year, but it's paying off, and they're the best team in the East record-wise. Number two, the Utah Jazz. Now, the Utah Jazz, they're 32-11, and 11, first in the West, best in the NBA. Uh, they don't necessarily have the true superstar power that a prototypical championship team would have, like a LeBron or um, Steph Curry, KD. They don't have that. They do have three all-stars, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, but they just play hard. They play defense. They play as a team. They're united. I mean, they allowed 100 points or less in 14 games this year, one of the best in the league. Um, and I talked a few weeks ago about the ongoing of three-pointers and how aggressive teams are in scoring and how important that is. I mean, teams are scoring like 120 a night. Utah's holding teams to less than 100 um, 14 times this year, that which is really good. Um but I think there's still a case to be made that this may end up being just a regular season team. I think Utah's a great story. Jordan Clarkson might win the sixth man of the year. Um, Donovan Mitchell, 25 points per game. Rudy Gobert, poised to have another defensive player of the year uh, candidacy. They're a really good team. But are they going to emerge into a championship team or stay as a regular season story? I think that is really what's holding them back. And maybe I have them a little high at two if that's my reservation. But right now, today, Utah is one of the hottest teams in the league. So I'm rewarding them with number two. Number one, really shouldn't be up for debate, the Brooklyn Nets. 30 and 15, third in the East. Um, Now, they brought in James Harden earlier this year. They didn't really make a trade deadline move. Uh, but they brought in Blake Griffin a couple weeks ago, and he's playing motivated. And that second unit's playing motivated, and that surrounding cast has popped uh, throughout the last couple of games. Kevin Durant has missed 21 of the last 22 games, but the Nets, they're 16-5 and five without him, and they're scoring 116 points a night without him. Uh, Kyrie has missed 14 games this year, but James Harden has really kept them afloat and argue. I'm talking about I'm talking about MVPs here. I mean, James Harden might have the strongest case of them all. They're second in points per game without much action from Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They're seventh in assists. I mean, I I thought James Harden was a you know reluctant passer in Houston at times. He came in here and it's worked perfectly thus far. Now, in the playoffs, who's going to take the big shot? That might be a, a little bit of a debacle or a dilemma for Steve Nash, but Right now, they're rolling, and they're the hottest team in the NBA, and they're the favorites to win the title, uh, but they're 26th in points allowed, so there's a little vulnerability there with Brooklyn that you can score on them. You might not just outscore on them, so their offense is a little bit of, the, of their defense, um, but no, not many teams are going to outscore the Brooklyn Nets on an average night. So in review, in review, Bro- um, Dallas at 10, Portland at 9, Phoenix at 8. Milwaukee at seven. Number six is the Clippers. Denver at five. Um, Miami, I'm kind of projecting them to to ascend in the the hierarchy of the East at number four. Philadelphia at three. Utah at two. And excuse me, the Brooklyn Nets at number one. So trade deadline was eventful, but how many of the moves were impactful? Some of the more subtle moves were, were impactful for some of the top level teams. 
in the NBA. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Snow Show. Thank you for joining me. Um, great show today. Great show today. So as always, thank you for being here with me, and I will catch up with you again on Tuesday. I'll see you then.